stop and take a trip down on my block when you see hidden potential young minds sharper than pencil and ain't afraid to speak they mind if they got something against you we standing with you we tackle issues like civic pride hate will cease to exist let's put our differences aside from my side to your side from dutch town to south side from penrose to north side from benton park to old north to west end the west side we bless when we step out we stand down rise up stand together wise up this is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. This is a special edition of Stitchcast Studio, The Divided City, featuring our special guest, Dr. Lori Punch, a critical care surgeon and activist in the fight against gun violence. She directs Stop the Bleed STL, located inside the T. So check it out. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers. Hello, everybody. First, I want to thank you for tuning in to Stitchcast Studio. I am your host, Brandon Lewis, and I am accompanied by a couple members of our Stitchcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. First on the Stitchcast, we got Josh. Say what's up, Josh. What's good? What's good? Good to see you again. Uh, we also got Trey. How you feeling, Trey? I'm feeling good. What's the word? What's good with you, man? And also, we have Emira that's going to be joining us a little later. But Emira, if, if you've ever seen a Story Stitches podcast, you probably know who Emira is. Emira needs no introduction at all. But for the real introduction, we, we, we're we being joined by, by, by a very special, like, I, I, I don't even know where to start, okay? We're talking about awards, founding nonprofits, uh, schooling in several parts of the country, doing surgery in several parts of the country. And as if that's not enough, piano piano some somehow somehow they found time to learn how to also play piano so please 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 join me in welcoming josh trey unmute please join me in welcoming the very special dr punch dr punch how are you hey what's up what's hey. up <laughs> music absolutely is absolutely and, I, and i'm a piano player myself so we definitely gonna get into that i know we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some heavier topics or whatnot but if you don't mind us uh, starting off a little lighthearted, can you tell us a little bit about your uh musical background I can't overemphasize how much music has meant to me in my life. Yes, I began playing piano around the age of 10, taking $2 piano lessons from Miss Elizabeth Carter in East Liverpool, Ohio. Uh, I did a story about that when I did a TED Talk, and, and I'm not over-exaggerating the role that that experience of playing side-by-side -side with a gospel maestro, right? Like just somebody who danced across the keys and gave her whole heart to her community really helped me see the power of music to communicate and connect people from a very, very young age. And then I started tinkering, you know, through school, learned the trumpet, uh, but really I was bass all the way. Eventually they gave me a tuba. And then I went to college. I learned how to play the bass for the gospel choir there and then played in a party band in med school. And all along the way, that connection, literally now I understand, was my therapy. That was my way of healing my mind and balancing my world uh, where, you know, kind of learning these really intense things about the body and being in a very intense environment and then coming to these spaces where I could connect with people through music and art. So yes, music all the way has always been part of my life. And now uh, I play my acoustic when I can. Gotcha. So in med school, you were playing in bands and whatnot? 
Yeah, I, I was, wow. my, 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 my fellow medical students thought I was pretty crazy, but I worked really hard in undergrad. And um, when I got to med school, I slowed down a little bit and really started thinking about, you know, what I wanted in life, what I enjoyed in life. And so, yeah, I, I took a little bit, e- a little bit easier in medical school. And I'm so, so, so glad I did. The band was called Swivel Hips and they still, uh, there's different members of them in Connecticut who still get together and play sometimes. So it was great memories, great times. Beautiful, beautiful. Speaking of music, uh, trauma, therapy, you've already touched on how music was your therapy. I know music is definitely um, my therapy. I want to talk a little bit. We're going to we're going to get into trauma and I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about um, therapy. I'm an advocate for therapy. I think everybody should have a therapist, even if they don't know, even if they don't feel like anything's wrong with them. Is therapy really the solution to uh, to trauma, to suffering and all, all, all of these you, you, depression, all of these things is therapy really that uh smoke and gun so to speak that everybody typically ignores or doesn't have access to but could help them greatly so i think it's an excellent question and and one that um the community really needs to oh grapple with differently i mean first of all you got to break down what is therapy because there's all kinds of different therapy there are people you know like yourself who are eloquent you can use words to express your feelings and your mind has a grasp on what's going on in your heart soul and body but not everybody has that kind of wiring there are some people for whom a physical reality a a, a emotional reality needs to be expressed in other ways and that's where i think something like music can come in because it lets us i don't have to explain this to you right it lets us say things that we can't say with our words just sitting down with somebody and talking the truth is though right trauma lives in our body trauma is not a mental thing alone yes there are memories yes there are cognitive processes that occur in our brain yes there our nervous system is involved but our nervous system is just as much present in our body right as it is in our skull and trauma lives in our body your body doesn't forget exposure to trauma where it's physical whether it's emotional financial whatever it is and that trauma lives in our body in our sympathetic nervous system in our flight or fight response in our cortisol levels and everything that gets us through our day and so for me i find things like music things like lifting weights things like dancing things like building things with hammers and nails that's my therapy and what i really would like to see right is more therapy as we talk about in this in the in the classic sense engaging people with a both and for instance my son did uh, speech and language therapy when he was younger at a place called Leaps and Bounds. And it's basically a gym. And the therapists go into the gym with the kids and while they're jumping, bouncing, hyping, crawling, they're going over speech with them. They're doing Mm. fine motor with them. And I think that's the bigger truth of how most people's bodies are. You know, when we think about the stigma around mental health, yeah, I kind of get it. Cause you know what? It doesn't work for everybody, but that doesn't mean they don't need it. And if I could get somebody to sit down, play some basketball, lift some weights, listen to some music and vibe for a second, I bet you I could start helping them connect their words to their body and then therapy would more be therapeutic. And that's actually one of the things I'm doing in a new project I have at my building, the T, called the BRIC. It's the Bullet-Related Injury Clinic. And it's a clinic for people who are recovering from having been shot or having
having somebody they know be shot. And in the clinic, we don't just sit and talk. There's opportunities to move. I've got a basketball hoop. You can get up and move around the space. We just put in a set of weights. And we don't just use our words. We use our whole beings to get through trauma. Wow. Beautiful. So for someone who, who doesn't have access to, um, you, men- you mentioned building, working out. Uh, for someone who doesn't have access to therapy in the uh, traditional sense, um, for example, somebody with a borderline personality disorder who sorely may need therapy, but isn't in a position where they can, you know, afford it or, or it's not offered or whatever the case may be. What, 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 what are some, what are some things that we can do in our own lives uh, every day to kind of help with uh, trauma or, uh, or whatever else we may need therapy for? So here's the exciting thing. First of all, I do want to say there are always resources, the behavioral uh, um, health uh, response, as well as this new program, uh, Show Me Hope, Missouri, which is uh, really, really cutting edge crisis therapy in the setting of COVID. Those resources I'll send to you so you can tag those to this podcast. Um, So there always is help. There's also, um, for instance, suicide helplines. Let's make sure folks have those resources. You're never alone. Number one. Number two, here's the magic thing here, right? Okay. It goes both ways. The same way trauma does not just live in your mind. Healing can live in your body. And so... The things that we do to our bodies have a lot to do with the processes that go on in our brains. Do you know that there is a theory that chronic depression is just as much the consequence of chronic inflammation from an improper balance of bacteria in your intestines as it is any other thing going on with serotonin in your brain? I had no idea. Yeah, so so here's my approach, it's very simple, right? Is, is, is very, very basic. But the thing about it is because of that, everyone has access to it. So first we start with managing pain, unseen, untreated, unhealed pain in whatever form absolutely puts our minds into a depressive state, no matter what our starting point is. And um, I think it's very, very important to check in with your body, see where your pain is. If it's physical, there's all kinds of things, rest and elevation and ice packs and ibuprofen and Tylenol and just time that can help you deal with the pain your body might be going through. And if it's emotional pain, it's important to be like, wow, man, when that went down, that really wasn't cool with me. And like that hurts. And so that is one of the first statements we have to be able to make because we don't have to just be tough. We can recognize that we're in pain and we can start to think about how we can take a minute to treat that pain, whether it's listening to your favorite song, trying to get at least 15 minutes of sunshine on a day where it's at least over 40, you know, looking uh, at your favorite videos, sitting down and watching a show you used to watch when you were a kid that just makes you feel happy, like basic stuff, right? So that's pain. So next after that is going to be sleep. Your mind heals when you sleep. And sleep is one of our most, I think, misunderstood things, you know, for people, especially I'm going to say young folks, you know, a lot of people stay up, they're on their phones, they're letting their cell phones and the unnatural light of that cell phone stimulate them and make them think it's time to be awake or really it's time to be asleep. You know, it's very, very important to try to regulate your sleep cycle, especially when you're going through something. Now, you don't necessarily have to sleep, you know, 10.5 hours at night, but you at least Mm -hmm. need to try to go to bed 
and try especially to get yourself on some kind of rhythm your body has these things called circadian rhythms that tell you when it's time to be awake when it's time to be asleep and if you're always messing with them it's just like a beat right if you're always messing with it you never let it drop like you never yeah. get into the groove so getting into the groove of sleep is really important i use sleep supplements there's you know maybe people believe in melatonin or not but that's something that helps me and then turning my phone off okay after sleep is going to be eating i already mentioned you know what you eat you are what you eat and i'm telling you eating food that is as close to actual food the way it comes out of the earth as possible is really really good so getting those plants in some kind of form that they're not completely processed and and thinking very consciously about the animal products you put in your body those are the kinds of things that can help you have a healthy intestine and your intestines being healthy have a lot to do with your whole body state of inflammation and your whole body state of inflammation has a lot to do with all kinds of things that can go wrong with your joints with your heart and with your mind so eating super super important along with that water next your thoughts managing uh, and recognizing, even just reflecting on your thoughts and the stress that's inside of them. Um, you know, a lot of times I see people go through something and not only do they not recognize their pain, but they don't recognize the way in which that stress is causing them to see the whole world around them as messed up. My job's wow. messed up. My family's messed up. Everybody's messed up and everyone's out to get me. That is a common, common thing. What is that? What is that? That is your brain's stress response trying to keep you safe because you feel threatened because something has gone down but while that is 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 real inside your brain it's not necessarily the case i have had people where all i have said to them is in the hospital hey how are you and they're like what you mean how am i what you what and i'm yeah. like dude i was just but i realize when you have trauma just like when you're sick, anything that anyone does towards you can feel like a threat. And so coming in and thinking about those thoughts and then doing something to turn on the opposite of your stress response, which is breath work. When you take a deep breath and you stretch your diaphragm, you know, you singers out there understand this. You literally stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of your fight or flight response. And you help your body enter into a state of relaxation, which then frees up your brain to be your higher self, to recognize, okay, my job isn't messed up. My family isn't messed up. I'm not messed up. It's just some stuff going down right now and we're going to be okay. So these, these methods, along with being very, very careful about what toxins you expose yourself with to, whether it's toxic people or toxic substances, are what I call the how to heal method to dealing with trauma. Eating, sleeping, managing your stress and thoughts, handling and acknowledging your pain, and being mindful of your relationship with toxins. And this is something I think anybody and everybody can do, whether or not they have access to a therapist. Because here's the real trippy thing. You know who is the best one in position to help you overcome your trauma? you. So self-care and doing these things as self-care is very, very, very powerful. You have access to them every single day. And everything that I'm doing here at the T and the Brick is about that kind of method and making sure people have access to those really basic but accessible tools. Hey, everybody, it's time right now for our Pick the City of Art interlude featuring an original piece by artist and songwriter K.P. Dennis titled Bang in the Night. It's like walking on a tightrope out here. It's a jump, you know what I'm saying? I wish I could just tell you, see you later, but that's called taking it for granted. Cause we don't know. 
Post-traumatic, schizophrenic, take a trip with panic Close to static, clicking banners, came to flip the planet They call them red-handed, 45, semi-auto Death wishing on the mission like it's no tomorrow He yellow tip the spits and follow, listen, pay attention He bottled up with tension, off the rip, your day was sentence Looking for repentance and redemption in this cold world A sad reality for urban boys and girls who came from the sound of the clock A solution up. The pain in the poverty permeates the bloodstream. Full blown addicted to shooting like you a trigger fiend. What you mean, self hating per usual? And if you see it differently, you're seeing it's delusional. curious about you explaining more of the purpose of artists beyond just self-care towards ourselves. I'm a visual artist, but I'm just speaking for like, what is the artist's role in helping other people deal with their trauma or just revealing issues, talking about real stuff? Like what is, what is in your opinion, an artist's role in that? Ooh, I'm so glad you asked that question. This is something I used to really ponder a lot in medical school because uh, this idea of mental health 
hygiene, the same way we have fluoride uh, that lets us maintain dental hygiene, or the same way we have seatbelts so that we have safety when we're on the roads. There is such a thing as hygiene, a way of maintaining yourself before problems arise. And I believe that art has historically always played the role of being the guardian of our mental health hygiene. If you think about, let's break down why. What happens when our mental health is threatened or when we have trauma? We become, in some ways, separated from ourselves, right? We don't have, right, the connection to all that we are because either through threat or an internal sickness, we are not connecting to all of our body and brain smoothly, right? What is art but self-expression and the musing and the watching and the taking in of other self-expression? And I think that there, I, I literally can't think of something more healing, right, for someone who is internally broken than to live literally stitched themselves back together by expressing what they can express through art. And, you know, art is so gentle in some ways, right? Because it does not judge. It doesn't have to. I mean, I know artists, all right, are super, super critical of themselves. But the truth is, whatever you comes out is what is you. And it's beautiful. And it's fine. I mean, there's not a lot of other spaces, right? Where we, where we get to be that way. There's not a lot of other spaces in human existence, right? Where what you do is just just okay by definition because the whole point is self-expression so i think artists can do a lot of things one they can be well themselves you know i think maintaining your own well-being is core if you want to help others too they can create images sounds experiences of self-expression that help us reflect and then three they can teach they can teach us how i mean somebody sat down with me and taught me egbdf right like somebody somebody taught me that and and i think teaching whatever art form it is, is one of the most beautiful things uh, that we can do. So yes, I think artists are the guardians of our mental health. And I wish that our society valued art in that way. Instead, we value uh, things that, yes, have meaning and are valuable. The medical world takes a lot of the brunt of this, but there's so much more I think we could be doing. And I'm glad that we have virtual platforms like this to experience art. I, I really think it's one of the, I mean, how many of you are just dying for a concert, right? I, I, know, yeah. I, I know I I know, know I am. And so I, I'm hoping and I'm glad that you have taken this on. We've got to keep getting art in front of people one way or the other. Definitely. That's a really beautiful way of putting that. I'm glad you said that because I, I kind of came to the same conclusion myself in a way in that I believe that entertainers, I believe that your job as an entertainer almost is to make other people's lives easier people that can't express themselves the way that you express yourself. Uh, as you just said, you know, even, even just hearing in a song that somebody feels how I thought I was the only person that felt, you know, uh, even little things like that are very uh, helpful. It's helpful to know that you're not alone. How does dealing with trauma at a young age kind of rewire the brain? And is there mm. any way to undo what was done? Not the situation, but what's happening in the brain or is there any way to help the process, you know, process in that trauma and the situation that happened to them? That's a really great question. And 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 I am not an expert on the neurobiology of childhood exposures to trauma, but the 
The truth is the brain simply does not develop certain connections. There's literally parts of the brain that are smaller. Development is not the same when a child is exposed to high levels of trauma, high cortisol levels, and the stress that we just kind of talked about. So what can be done? Interestingly, the study after study, thing after thing that I've read um, and talk after talk that I've heard is that the most protective thing a child can have in enduring exposure to trauma is a stable relationship with a healthy adult. One is adequate. And so um, this is where you, 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 hear, you hear stories of people going through unbelievable childhood experiences and, and emerging uh, as well-balanced, quote, quote unquote, whatever that, <laughs> whatever that means, but you know, like healthy, emotionally intact, able to navigate the world adults. And it's always what? It was a grandma. You know, it was an uncle. It, it, it was a stepmom. It, it was somebody, that one person who became, became for them a tether through the storm. So where it gets really hard, right, is when someone makes it into young adulthood and they have never had that, even a glimmer of that kind of relationship. The, what happens to that person, I believe, having talked to many, many people in that circumstance, is they no longer believe the world is a place which is either safe or has their own best interest at heart ever. And once an adult human being has decided the world is never safe and nothing about it is interested in their well-being, that adult will struggle immensely for a lifetime and will have to come to the conclusion on their own. You can't save people, y'all. I wish. Mm, yeah. You can't, you can't save people. They're going to have to come to the decision on their own that they want something different. And that's the heartbreak. And so I think this is why, you know, we need to invest deeply into the lives of two-year-olds and three-year-olds and five-year-olds and seven-year-olds because they are aware that critical stuff is happening. And, and Amira, one of the things I really thought about is as an adult, who, who being where I am, one of the best things I can do is try to invest in parents, right? And invest in helping them help their kids or invest in them having a more stable situation so they can be there for their kids. Because I can't have that relationship, right, with their kid, but they can. And if I help them stabilize, then maybe they can continue, you know, they can continue to be or build into being that person for their child. Is it similar, the effects that trauma has on um, a child's brain, is it similar to, you know, um, early exposure to, you know, drugs or alcohol? So the exposure to, to substances which can cause dependence, right, is gonna cause specific changes in parts of the brain such that without those substances, there will be a dysregulation, there'll be a hyperactivity, there'll be, um, you know, uh, a withdrawal, basically. And that's a little bit different from having a brain, right, that's constantly bathed in, you know, stress hormones from birth on, right? And so it it is, it is, it does show up a little bit differently and the, the recovery is differently. Unfortunately, sometimes those things 
go together. But no, I think it's different to have constant stress hormones around versus saying I, you know, was born with having been exposed to something that was addictive. As I was born, I then withdrew and had a hyperactive part of my brain. I think that's a little bit different from saying every day I walked into a world of stress and never had never had a break from that stress because I never had a safe adult relationship to create an oasis for me and respite from the storm. The question I had, because you talked a lot about how the body doesn't forget trauma and a, a bit about trauma, I wanted to know how does trauma express itself through violence? Like, how does that occur? So, yeah, so how does, let's talk a little bit about how Trauma shows up in our body first because that's important. So it, one, um, uh, one of the most common ways is sleep disturbance because the brain is caught in a fight or flight, hyperactive, hypervigilant, uh, somebody's trying to threaten me state. It never gets to the point of relaxation. And so you have a lack of sleep. That same hypervigilance affects your intestines and your, your ability to digest. So frequently people have all kinds of GI gastrointestinal upset. Uh, they're the super picky eater, upset stomach all the time, always having trouble using the bathroom, just always something is up with the GI tract. Um, another way it can show up is pain in the joints, especially um, uh, pain in the joints that feels like arthritis, even though you're 25 and you shouldn't have arthritis yet. Uh, another way is it, that hypervigilance can show up is a very, very, very low thresholds for anger, that anything will piss you off and you'll respond with anger rather than nuance. So how does that translate into violence? Okay, so let's think about that. Conflicts will come, right? It's gonna be times, whether it's the person driving beside you in the road or somebody who posted something on social media or somebody in your family mouthing off where you're going to come into conflict, right? People are going to say things and do things that are not necessarily immediately physically threatening, but they will be threatening. If you're already in a state where your body is harboring this trauma, your fight or flight response is right at the tip, is right there. And so when somebody does that little thing, instead of being able to be like, yeah, okay, you're tripping, you are boom, right there. And then if you add to that, everyone being in that zone, then you start getting, then it starts getting really real. Because one of the things that happens with the hypervigilance that comes from trauma exposure is a need to protect yourself. And suddenly you don't just got people with fists and words, you have people with knives and bullets and everybody has knives and bullets. Then take it a step further and make it be so normalized. Make the trauma response be so normalized and just ingrained in everyone. It literally becomes the fabric of the culture such that the more, right, you are close to it, the more you have seen, right, the more teardrops tattooed on your face, the more videos of people bleeding out you have on your Facebook feed the more clout you have, because you have now come into position where you are the master of that trauma. You laugh at it, you expect it, you want it, you deal with it. And you are so removed at that point from a response which preserves life, nobody can tell you anything. And the thing about it is, you are not wrong. That's a completely reasonable standpoint to have when everyone around you has trauma and everyone around you is armed. And it is a vicious, 
vicious, vicious, self-perpetuating cycle. The question I have and the question I'm burning to find in all of my work is how to break that. Because the person who steps out of it immediately becomes vulnerable. They don't have clout. They don't have protection. They're not hard anymore. And they are themselves now vulnerable. This is some really, really deep stuff that I think we need to deal with specifically in the black community. The thing about it is, when you throw the world word mental health at it, of course that don't seem like enough. Because it's soft compared to the hardness of walking around on a battlefield. This is the line that I draw. Now, there's a lot of people who would say, you know what, you're, getting, you're making it too easy on people. People make a choice to do things to hurt other people and it has nothing to do with their prior trauma exposure. They just think they can get away with it and they just do it. But I know the human mind and body. And I know that given enough access to love, trust, food, shelter, and resources, people do not choose violence as the norm. And my desperate hope is to get more and more and more and more young folks deeply desiring that zone of being and not staying entrenched in the normalized violence that has become our relationship with trauma. Wow. Earlier in 2020, we released a different podcast under the same name, Understanding Trauma, but it was a lot shorter. And so now we have a little more time to expound on things that maybe didn't get uh, enough attention in the first podcast. But in that podcast, I believe you spoke on how trauma and addiction uh, are actually closely related. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think there's two, you, this thought can go in two very different directions. So the one direction is the way in which we become addicted to the emotions and physiological response of trauma. In other words, trauma is a drug. But the other way is the way in which drugs are extremely good at managing the negative side effects of exposure to trauma. So, so let's start with the first one. When you get exposed to stress, your body releases again stress hormones and different kinds of neurotransmitters in your brain and hormones that circulate through your entire body that cause you to be in a certain state, right? When that is your everyday norm, right? Especially as a young person, you're, you're, you're very, we're very good at surviving, right? So we start saying, well, I guess it's just how it is then. I just, this is life. I like it now. I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to be like, okay, this is, this is my life. And I want, this is what family is. You even start to say, this is what love is. And so then as an adult, what can end up happening because of those exposures in your childhood and your family of origin is you only feel attracted to somebody or you only feel at home when the vibe brings up that same trauma. And wow. so you are literally addicted to your negative trauma experiences. And every choice you make in life is just to recreate what feels like home. Even if mm. your conscious brain is like, this is so messed up. I can't. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep dating the same people? Why do I keep messing up the same way at work? Why do I keep trying to repair this relationship? And no, no one, no matter what I do, my dad never, ever is cool with me. Like these are the things that like we just get used to, we normalize it. And there's a there's a healer um, called the holistic psychologist and she talks a lot about the way in which the work of adulthood, even young adulthood, is to begin reparenting yourself 
and redefining what love is outside of what might have been some very, very negative, toxic experiences as a young person, depending on what your home life was like. If your home life wasn't like that, then sometimes you're going to look at other people and you're going to be like, why did they think like that? Like, why is she always tripping? I'm just trying to love her. Or why is he always like going on like, like why doesn't he trust that I'm just trying to help? It's because they can't. So, so that's the way in which trauma is like um, trauma is like a drug. But the uh, but the other thing though is that most substances that are mind altering, right? Things like alcohol, things like uh, anything that's an opioid, and quite honestly, even the THC in hemp, right, marijuana, they are ways to disconnect your brain from your body. They are ways to disconnect your emotions from your thoughts. They are ways to dissociate and be set free from that cognitive process. And I think the one of the reasons why substance use disorder and overdose for an opioids is hitting us so hard right now and in general is such a problem is because it works. Like it works. Drugs work. And 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 it and and they 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 allow you to control your situation very powerfully. The problem is your body gets dependent on them. It changes its biochemistry and neurochemistry, and suddenly you can't live without them. And then suddenly all the physical changes that happen in your body from constant exposure to those substances begin to occur, and you can get very very sick and even die. So you know the the all of this right is about our brain-body relationship, about the way in which we deal with the negative influences in our life, and whether or not we are able to use our body to be well and to heal our mind, or whether or not we have to check out and rely on toxic people and toxic substances to survive. And breaking that mold, I'm gonna tell you guys, I'm not gonna lie, I'm right here with it. I mean. I have to make conscious decisions every single day, right? To choose to be well and to choose to be healthy and not let myself fall into the cycle of using toxins to deal with my own trauma. Wow. Same. Pleasure. Yes, Dr. Punch, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We look forward, we definitely look forward to uh, a continued partnership, us continuing to work together. Once again, thank you. We hope to get you for uh, more podcasts as well, you know, just just to continue to hear your opinions on things, you know, and things that you've learned and picked up uh, in a very full life or whatnot so we thank you so much for joining and we thank everybody for tuning in the Stitchcast. we've hope we hope that you've enjoyed uh this podcast enough to continue to tune in as we continue our series on trauma as we continue to to understand and hopes to combat and to heal once again thank you so much dr punch thank you so much Stitchcast, and thank you so much everybody for tuning in Stitchcast Studio Session 2 in 2021 is sponsored by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund through your grant from 2020 to 2022. 
Arts and Education Council, PNC Grant, and Lush Corporation's The Charity Pot. This episode of Stitchcast Studio Special Edition, The Divided City, is funded by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and Urban Design at Washington University in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.